Hello there, and welcome to Gilded in Blood, the Horror Lit Podcast. My name is Kevin. It is currently 8 o'clock on the verge of December. We're almost in December. You're going to be listening to this in December, but I'm recording it a little bit early. But, oh my god, it's cold out here. I think it's like 20 degrees outside, something like that. As I'm sitting here in my writing shed, the only place I can really record, because every place in the house has a weird echo. (laughs) I am screwed. I am here. My nose is frozen. I can see my breath. Yes, big cloud of vapor coming out of my mouth. It is freezing, and it is the perfect... I did this specifically so I could talk about this short story in this environment. This is another Short Shock episode, and it is time to talk about Jack London's To Build a Fire. Now, this is probably where I piss off a whole bunch of English teachers, and I couldn't be happier. Get over your snobbishness. This is a horror story. I'm sorry. just is, and you're going to see why after we talk about it. Now, I read this in school. This is a very popular short story to read in middle school and and sometimes high school, but uh, it's an excellent story. It is a story that is pure chill. It is so cold to read this story. And those of you who have read it before know exactly what I'm talking about. Hopefully you read it before we're talking about it today. But if you never have, even after the episode is done, you should really go check this out. It will make you cold to your core. It is just such a cold story. So I just figure we are in the middle of December when you're going to be listening to this. It is cold outside. It is time to talk about a really cold short story. So let's get going. Our main character is never named. It is just the man, and it is a man who is out in the winter in the Yukon, and he is alone. He is trying to make it to the next town, and he has ignored the advice of many people and gone out here alone. And things will not turn out well for him because he has made this mistake, but we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. This is the Yukon. It is far, far north. It is the winter. Day had broken cold and gray, exceedingly cold and gray, when the man turned aside from the main Yukon trail and climbed the high earth bank. That's the first line of the story, and it is pitch dark because This is the height of winter. You're so far up north that the sun never actually rises. It won't rise for another few days. And it is dark. It is cold. And most of the story, most of the impact of the story comes from its description. Jack London is excellent at making you feel the the depth of this cold, the bone-biting cold that this man is going through. Very early on in the story, he actually, he's chewing tobacco, which I don't think is a very good idea, but he spits and he hears this explosive crackle and he does it again. He spits again and and the spit freezes and crackles in the air before it can hit the ground. This is a real thing, which bothered me terribly when I read this story the first time. I was like, there should be no place ever that you can spit and it freezes before it hits the ground. And that's true. And he says, well, he he knows that spit freezes in the air at about 50 degrees below zero. So it must be colder than that. And the narrator kind of takes over at that and says, well, it's, it is colder than that. 75 degrees below zero. 
I want you to think about that for a second. I want you to think how cold that would actually be. A little bit of a, a short tangent here because it's, it's, it's on topic, I promise. Uh, I used to do some, some work on the university when I was going through getting my degree. And one of the people I worked with, they had gone to college the first time. He was in grad school and he had gone to his undergrad college in Fairbanks, Alaska. And at the time, I was really obsessed with Alaska. I wanted to move there. I wanted to live there. Never worked out, but that's okay. And I asked him what the coldest he had ever experienced was. And he said, oh, one night it got down to 40 below. And I was like, what does that feel like? And he said, beyond 10 below, it just hurts. <laughs> it just hurts to be outside. You just don't go outside. If you forgot something in your car, you wait. It, it doesn't matter. You, you just don't go outside unless it is an absolute emergency. It just hurts your body to be out there. No matter how much you pile on, no matter what clothing you put on, no matter if you put on 10 pairs of socks or walking around on big bubble feet, it hurts to be out in that cold. So we have our main character here and he has ice around his face on his eyelashes, on his nose, his cheeks, uh, because every time he exhales that vapor that I see here in the, in, in my writing shed, because it's so cold, it freezes instantly to his face as he's chewing bits of, of tobacco juice are spilling out of his lips and freezing on his lips. There is a mask of ice around his mouth. He can't move his lips. He can't move his mouth because it is literally frozen. And it's just so uncomfortable to read. It's, it's, it's a terrifying, horrifying kind of uh, image there. And why is this man doing this? Why is he there alone? How stupid is this guy? And the story takes a point to say, it's not that he's stupid. That's not his problem. His problem is that he lacks imagination. That is a very interesting point that the, the narrator brings up. He says, this man's problem, the danger to this man is that he lacks imagination. He, he can't think to himself, well, what would happen if I got trapped out here and things went wrong and it was this cold? He can't do it. He can't bring that up in his mind. All he can do is think to himself, wow, it's really cold. He thinks that multiple times and the story is kind of funny. He's like, wow, it really is cold. Yeah, no shit, Sherlock. I, what are you doing out here? But that is his main problem is that he can't imagine the scenario that is actually going to happen to him here. Now, he I've said that he is alone. He's not technically alone. Alongside him is a sled dog. There, there's been some sort of accident. It's very, very briefly mentioned in the story that there was some sort of accident. So now he is alone and one of the sled dogs is there with him. The dog knows that this should not be happening. They should not be out here in this weather. This is the weather. The narrator says that the dog's kind of lizard brain is telling him, dig under the snow, curl up, and stay there and let your warmth keep you alive. This is not weather to be traveling in. This is a bad, bad idea. And it keeps mentioning that if it was clouded over, it would be better. It, it would not be as cold, but the, the narrator, and of course this was written back in the twenties. So, you know, astronomical knowledge may not have been a factor here, but I love the fact that London says there was nothing keeping the dead cold of space from 
smiting down on this man. I love that line. And whether you believe this or not, whether you go with me or not, on this or not, I'm just going to put it out there. To me, that makes this a cosmic horror story because it is literally the nature of this place and even the cold from the emptiness of outer space affecting our main character. I, I put this in the same camp, maybe on the edge, but it's certainly getting close to the same camp as stuff like H.P. Lovecraft and, and weird literature because it really does. It says that this is a place that a man cannot live. This is a place that a man shouldn't be. There are things here outside of this man's purview. It says specifically in the story that a, a person who has to live within specific temperances of hot and cold, this is beyond that creature's livelihood. It can't exist here. And the fact that this man has stumbled out into this, especially lacking the imagination to be afraid of what is going to happen to him and being arrogant enough to think that this is no big deal, this spells doom for the man. It really, really does. So that primarily is what I feel makes this a story in the cosmic horror tradition. And I love that about it. And it, it took me reading it a couple times and certainly a little bit more familiarity with HP Lovecraft to really kind of make those connections. And I, I, I understand that there are a few of you out there who are banging your head against the wall and saying, Kevin, it's Bullshit. It does not work. And fine, stop hitting your head against the wall. It's going to hurt you because it's an opinion, but I'm right. <laughs> okay, this I think this really does work. But of course, that's not exactly where all the horror lies in this story. I think we're going to be able to agree on the horror that is coming. So as this man and this dog, wolf, <laughs> almost closer to wolf than a dog, but as these two go along, we are told that there are certain dangers here, uh, uh, more than the obvious one of even being out there. The danger is that there are areas in the ice that look like they are covered over with snow and they're, they're nice and solid. However, even though the creek that he is following to this next camp is clearly frozen down to its depths. I mean, there, there's no way that just standing water can remain liquid at this temperature. There are springs that are bubbling up out of the ground, and because they're moving and because they're warmer under the ground, these never freeze. And that means that even though the ice and the snow look solid, he could take a wrong step and go down in, and now his feet are wet. And at this temperature, they're frozen just right away. So those are the dangers that he's trying to, to watch out for. The story takes a lot of its power also from the minute little details of how one goes about doing normal things in an environment this hostile. So when he stops to eat his lunch, because he's been walking for hours, he has quite a few more hours to walk, and he, he figures he can get to the next camp by, the, by about six o'clock that night, he stops for lunch, and of course he has to build a fire, because 
as he's moving, his blood is pumping and keeping blood going to his extremities and everything. But the second he stops, that blood pulls inwards because of this vicious biting cold. It tries to warm its core to stay alive, and the extremities are kind of left out in the, literally left out in the cold. So he immediately has to build a fire. So this seems easy. You take a little bit of the birch bark that you have in your pocket. You take one of the sulfur matches. You light it. You start it. You put little twigs on it. You put bigger twigs on it. You put bigger wood on it. And now you have a fire. But what this story does is it goes through the facts that the second he takes off his mittens to do any of these things, his fingers are instantly numb. So he has to do this almost more by sight than by feel because he can't feel these things between his fingers. His fingers are dead pieces of meat to his senses. He, he, he doesn't feel anything because they're instantly numb. So if he can't see it happening, he doesn't know that it's actually happening. So there's a couple of times where he's trying to kind of fumble in his pockets to try to find the things that he needs and he can't feel them. So he has to put his mitten on and then smash his hand against his chest to try to beat the blood back into his fingers. Now, those of you who have ever had, uh, maybe not necessarily frostbite, if you've had frostbite, you definitely know, but anybody who's ever had real, real cold applied to your, your extremities, your toes, your fingers, you've been out in the cold for far too long, as that blood comes back in, it hurts. <laughs> it really hurts. It's pins and needles on an epic uh, scale. It really sucks. So this guy is in an almost constant kind of experience of pain at the tips of his fingers and the tips of his toes as he tries to get feeling back. And he notes that he's probably going to have some frost damage to his nose and to his cheeks, but he says that eh, no big deal. It happens and it hurts, but it, it'll be fine. But his fingers are a little bit more worrisome because, you know, he's trying to do things with his fingers. He's trying to make a fire with his fingers, but he can't feel them. And, and when he can feel them, they hurt. But he does succeed in making a fire. He eats his lunch. He warms up. He gets his, his vitality back. Of course, the dog is as close to the fire as possible without singeing its fur because it knows it shouldn't be out here. Uh, certainly, if the, uh, even if the man doesn't figure that out, big dummy. And of course, it's time to move on. And as he's walking, he makes a misstep and steps into one of these traps, wets his feet up to the knees, and now he has to stop and build a fire again. Because there is time element here, because the longer his feet stay literally frozen, the more damage is being done. And now the sense of dread, the sense of panic starts to set into this story. Even before what happens later happens, the reader is really starting to kind of hyperventilate and be like, oh my God, this is this is really bad. And this is the moment that the, the man thinks to himself, yeah, maybe I should have had somebody else out here because somebody else could build the fire faster than I could, but now I have to do it on my own. He's starting to understand the actual danger of being out here alone and the reader knows he's understanding far, far too late. So here he is, it is time to build another fire, but now he's thinking to himself, okay, so I may lose a little bit of skin from my nose and my cheeks, and maybe I'm going to lose a few toes, but I, I need to get this done now. And as he starts building the fire, he it's going well. He's building the fire. It's difficult now because he can't quite 
make his fingers do everything that he needs to be able to do. And at one point he holds the match in his mouth and tries to strike it against his leg to start the fire. But of course, sulfur goes straight up his nose and he coughs and it goes out. And it's so tense to read, but he finally gets the fire started. He's starting to put on a, a few larger twigs. He has wood next to him that he can start feeding. <sighs> and then the narrator says the mistake that he made was to do this under the spruce tree. He shouldn't have done that. He knows that he shouldn't have done that, but it was just so much easier to be right next to a source for wood to put on the fire. But as that heat starts to go up, the spruce tree has been covered in all of the snow. With There's no wind. There's nowhere to go with the snow. It's just hanging there. And then all of a sudden it breaks and all that snow falls down and smothers the fire. And it's at this point that you really understand that this is a horror story because what can he do now? He doesn't have the matches. The matches are under all this snow. He cannot feel his feet. And the only thing he can think of to do is to pull a Han Solo uh, in Empire Strikes Back. And he looks at the dog and says, if I can grab the dog and gut it. I can put my hands inside and warm them up enough that I can dig around in the snow, get the matches, and make another fire. And he lunges after the dog and actually grabs the dog and is able to hold it, but he can't make his hands clench around to actually do anything like go down and grab his knife. All he can do is just wrap his dead arms around this dog as it snarls and snaps and tries to get free. And eventually he realizes he can't do it. There's, there's nothing he can do here and he has to let the dog go. And of course the dog runs away and, and kind of keeps its distance. And it's really at this point that he realizes it's not about losing toes. It's not about losing fingers. It's not about the fact that they may have to amputate his nose or pieces of his face. This is life or death. And it says in the story, this is a matter of life and death, and the chances were against him. And at this point, he, he panics. He, he breaks. He, he starts to run down the path. And, and there's this wonderful uh, line that says uh, he, he knows what mercury feels like, the the uh, God with wings on his feet because it it doesn't feel like he's actually touching the ground. He's skimming along the along the earth because he cannot feel his feet because his feet have literally been frozen from this water. And eventually he tires himself out and, and falls down and thinks, you know, it's all of a sudden it's warm, which is odd, but it's so comfortable. And maybe I can just close my eyes and, and rest a little bit. And I can think about this later. And of course he drifts off and dies. And then the story follows the dog. The dog comes up to the, the body of the man sniffs. And then all of a sudden sniffs death. And it's like, Oh no, I don't want any of that. And, and goes on down the trail because it knows that there are other smarter <laughs> humans down the trail where he can get food. And that's where the story ends. It is absolutely one of the most uncomfortable stories I have ever read. Uh, it's deliciously so. It's just so cold to read. It really is. Um, my, my toes are hurting right now because it's so cold in here, but it's also a little bit psychosomatic because I'm talking about this damn story. It's so good. If you've never read this story, you really, really owe it to yourself to check this story out, To Build a Fire by Jack London. It is 
dead easy to find this story. You can go online. I'm, I'm utterly sure it's, it's available. It's, it's available in so many anthologies and editions. Go check this out and read more Jack London. Of course, not a horror author. And again, I'm probably pissing some people off and they're screaming at, at their iPod or whatever. And not a horror story. Well, you're wrong. I'm sorry. This is a story literally about a man facing death in one of the most inhospitable places on earth. It is absolutely terrifying. It is very uncomfortable to read. And I have always, always, from the moment I read it, I thought of it as a horror story. This is so frightening and disturbing and existential. It's just, it's a rough read. I, I love it for that. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful short story. Now, before I get into my wrap-up segment where I talk about what's coming up next week and give credit to all the people who deserve the credit and all that kind of stuff, I would like to say that this coming Sunday is Christmas. And I would like you to keep an eye out, keep an ear out, because just possibly, actually not just possibly, it's actually going to happen, but something may just appear in the feed as a, a little Christmas gift. So if you're interested in that, I'm not going to say a word about it. I'm just going to say, keep an eye out on Christmas Day. If you want to, come on by and see if uh, you want to unwrap the little gift that I leave under the tree there on Christmas Day. So Sunday, Christmas, 25th of December, there will be a special episode. So if you want to listen, I sure hope you enjoy it. Okay, so next week, our final episode of this year. Who would have thought that I would still be talking my, my blathering stupid thoughts this far down all the year? We started in May. It is the last week of the year before we get to 2023. And... It's probably the episode that is going to lose the most people. <laughs> I hope that you stick with me on this, and I hope that you just just roll with me on this. I promise you I'm going to make a good point for this. I promise that I don't promise that I'm going to bring you over to my side, but I, I promise I'm going to make a really good argument for it. Last week, we talked about Pink Floyd's The Wall. I think it went pretty well. I, I, I think I proved to you that it, it is actually literature. It's not just, you know, music can be literature too, because as we talked about the idea that uh, anything written down that has a story, to me, it feels like it deserves that tag of literature. Well, this one, this one is a video game. It is Play Dead's Limbo. Now, if you're not a video game person, if you're a person who, who always has hated video games, I... I really want you to still check it, check it out. I, I think that you're really going to like this one because it's, it's different. I can't tell you exactly how now, because uh, I want, I want to save that for the episode, but trust me on this limbo and the production company is called play dead. Limbo is one of the best horror video games ever. And I think it is tantamount to literature. So that's going to be my struggle there at the very end of the year. I'm going to try to convince you that I'm right on that. So next week, tune in, uh, see if I can sway your mind on this one or not. Either way, it's going to be very interesting. Thanks, as always, to Swarm for the use of his music. You can find this podcast at gildedandblood.buzzsprout.com or on any of the regular podcast platforms. And until next time, stay warm. Stay safe and stay spooked. <laughs>